Namaskar. Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, where we explore the connections between the ancient teachings of yoga in the context of the times we live in. This podcast is brought to you by the Accessible Yoga Association, a nonprofit organization focused on accessibility and equity in yoga. I'm your co-host Anjali Rao. My pronouns are she and her, and I serve as president of the Accessible Yoga Association Board of Directors. And I'm your co-host Shiva Nahiman. My pronouns are he and him, and I serve as the director of the Accessible Yoga Association. Hi everyone. Welcome back. Nice to see you. Um, on our last day of the conference, we have a very exciting, a very exciting keynote happening, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, thanks for being here if you're live or if you're watching the pre-recorded videos or the recorded video later. Uh, I'm excited to welcome Theo Drake. Actually, probably I should introduce myself. I keep realizing I like introduced myself the first night, but you know, I'm Jivana. Uh, Jivana Heyman, my pronouns are he and him. I'm the director of Accessible Yoga, and I'm joining from um, Chumash land, which is colonized as Santa Barbara, California. And I'm hosting the conference with the, our board president, President Anjali Rao. Um, anyway, I just want to say how excited I am to introduce Teo, and just so glad that he agreed to be a keynote speaker for this conference. We've been kind of circling around each other for years, so it's just nice to feel like to feel connected and to be able to learn from you and to be with you in this way. Um, let's see, I know that, you know, what I what I appreciate most about you is just your openness, sharing your journey and challenges. Um, and I know that you've been just a huge part of this community for such a long time and been working in this world for a long time as an organizer for the trans and queer communities, uh, the HIV communities and I think now woodworking, is that right? Woodworking community as well. I know that you're the, um, I, I checked out your website, the Tinkering Gnome, which is really exciting, where you have woodworking, which of course is done in some beautiful way. It's not just a simple workshop. It seems like it's also a collective, of course, yeah. And uh, you're also the co-founder of the Transforming Hearts Collective, which is a collective dedicated to spiritual, spiritual care and liberation of queer and trans people. So thank you for being here, Teo, and I'm Maybe you could also say more. I don't know if I touched on all the things. Let me know. Totally, totally. I, I'm really grateful to be here. And, you know, Jimena, thank you. And again, I, I agree that it's we've been in each other's orbit. And um, this has been kind of a way of connecting, particularly at a time that I think has been isolating for many of us. So I'm, I'm really grateful for this. Um, and I'm also really, thank you for not reading my formal bio. I always want to crawl under the table when that happens. So I, I, I appreciate the relational sort of introduction. Um, I want to thank all of you for being here. I have been um, listening to the conference myself and it, it, the conversations have been um, really a bomb for my soul, particularly at a time where um, I needed a reminder. I think I've needed a reminder of um, of belonging. I've needed a reminder that that as much as there's so much work to do, there are so many of us doing it and doing it in different ways and the same ways. And um, I'm going to sit with that for a long time. I think, but even in the immediate, it has been um, something I've needed. So, um, and before I even start. I will certainly talk about who I am and, and what I do in the world, but I also want to um, start by saying that um, I never take these moments for granted. 
that when folks come and and participate with me, when folks practice with me, um, I'm just I'm deeply honored, and it's a level of extension of trust that I I never want to take for granted. So I want to honor that, and hopefully that we can um, we can talk a little bit, we can practice together a little bit, and and kind of be together in a way that that I hope. Um, touches you in the same ways that I've been touched so far. So um, as um, Jim has said, my name is Teo, and um, I am actually calling in from um, right where Massachusetts, Vermont, and New Hampshire touch. I'm like literally right there, about as far north in Massachusetts as you can get, which is the traditional home of the Pecumtic. And it is fall. It's like a lovely time of year to be here. Um, and I'm hoping that we can start by just sort of grounding a little bit. Um, I miss in-person things, even as an introvert. That's how bad it's gotten. As an introvert, I actually miss people. Um, and so I'm hoping that we can just take a moment to drop in before we start. So just find whatever way is comfortable for you. You know, um, however you want to be in your body, in your breath, just find that. If it's possible and it feels comfortable to find something against your back, just lean into something if it's there for you and just feel it, right? Find your breath, whether that's a breath of ease, right? Whether it's deep, however that is for you, that whatever your breath can touch, sort of you to your back, just find that for a moment. And while you're doing that, tune into your heart space. You know, like, where is your, what's the, What's the texture of your heart space right now? Right? Open, tight, curious, longing. What is that for you right now? And see if your breath can actually touch that. Can the warmth of your breath actually soften a little bit? Now, if it's possible to hold the attention, like lean back to whatever's, whatever's holding you upright, right? And feel the strength of that. Actually allow your weight to be supported against something. Hold that at the same time as you dial into your heart space. Hold both of those to be true at the same time, right? That there's something solid at your back. And you can have a soft front, right? And for you, if, if it's accessible and if, if it speaks to you, I, I, my hands are cold. I'm warming my hands up and I'm putting them sort of over my heart space, right? But however you can call attention to your heart space, it's totally fine. Right? 
one of the reasons why I do this work that in community is because I, I actually think it's impossible to have an open heart without knowing who has my back, right? That, that to know that, that I'm not alone, to know that I can lean into something, someone, right? A community allows me to actually open. That when I'm not in touch with to whom I belong, right? It is much harder for me to unguard my heart space in this world. And so as you kind of come back at any time in this conversation, any time throughout your day in general, I invite you to do that, to check in about, about where you can lean into to find strength at your back so that you can open your heart. And that's one of the places that I go to throughout my day when I need that reminder, right? So when I was invited to come do this, I was thinking a lot about um, it came, the invitation and the sort of lead up to this came at a time in my life that um, as often happens to me, that sort of brought me to my knees, you know, and, um, and I was in a, in a, in a discernment about sort of um, how to navigate even my day to day. Right. Um, As Jimena said, I've been living with HIV almost half my lifetime at this point in time. In July, it will be exactly half my lifetime. Um, And I was diagnosed with HIV at a time when, you know, I was watching my friends die. I I was 28 years old. I wasn't supposed to make it to 40. Like 40 was looking like a stretch at a certain point in my lifetime, right? Um, And so my entire adulthood has been framed with um, this this being unlike the other kids, right? Like that's that's sort of how I often talk to my partner about my experience in this world is like, I don't feel like the other kids, right? Like my life has been out of rhythm for a lot of folks my age. Um, and and as my friends were, were um, you know, grad, going to graduate school or starting businesses or starting families, buying a house, like, right? There's a certain part of the world that I had grown up with that was doing that. Right. And another part of my world, um, you know, my, my friends were dying. We're, we were trying to figure out how to care for one another at a time when even the hospital staff wouldn't touch us. Right. Like that was the sort of it was a there was no place that those worlds met. Right. And but that has been sort of my entire sort of coming of age and in, coming into sort of, uh, you know, old age and graying. That has been my life experience of that as being a little bit out of sync with um, the shoulds of the world, I think was probably how I would talk about it. Um, and to a certain extent, I've come to some some peace with that. And at other times, I sort of can hit bumps in the road like everybody else. Right? And this notion of, of, of like fixing and, you know, that sort of industry that we're surrounded by, right? has often really landed for me um, pretty harshly, actually, because there's, you know, I live with HIV. There's, there's nothing that anyone is ever going to be able to do about that, right? That is just true. And, and one of my early experiences of living with HIV um, 
was often, I mean, you know, like you can imagine, right. I'm, I'm carrying this sort of reality. Um, but by the time I got to be, um, 33 years old, I had, I had, I, I well, I was 30, I was 32 or so. I had 33 T cells. I actually named them because that was all there was, right? Like I had a village. That was it. A very small village. Um, you know, I had a viral load, which is the measure of sort of where the virus is at in my body that was off the charts, right? And and I was getting ready to die. Like that was that was that was sort of true, right? And you know, I, I was, you know, I'm 55 years old, so I was raised at a time when being queer wasn't something that folks talked about, I didn't even know that was an option. And yet I was about as queer as one could be. And um, I was also growing up at a time where um, my gender nonconformity was uh, obvious to me and to anybody else and still like right, the messages about it being so wrong. And um, in, in my early thirties, as I was grappling with, with not being here for much longer, um, I made a decision. I made a decision that I was not going to die unhappy. Right? I didn't have a lot of choice about the timing of that necessarily. This was before medications were really a thing um, and easy to access. But I wasn't going to die unhappy. Right? I was, I was going to die on my own terms. And so for me, um, I, was, I was assigned female at birth. I was raised as a girl and it wasn't a home address that worked for me. And I didn't want to go out this way, right? I wanted to know what it felt like to be in my body in a way that felt like home. Like that's all I wanted before I left, right? And, and so I made a choice. I made a choice to transition, you know, and I was, you know, I made that choice when I was around 33 years old and kind of acted on it by the time I was 35. And and it was, it was the most loving thing I have ever done for myself. It was the, the most, I, um, most courageous thing I certainly have ever done. But it was the most loving thing I had ever done. Um, because it was the, the first time in my life I had chosen me over what the world wanted of me, what the world said I was supposed to be. And, and I did it like hell be damned because I knew there was going to be consequences. Quite honestly, I didn't think I would be alive to see most of them, but you know, here we are. But I chose me for the first time, you know, at, at 34, 35 years old. And lo and behold, I actually started to, I liked who I was, right? The more that I started to, um, the more that my body changed with testosterone, the more that, that I was transitioning into um, a body that I could understand and a way of relating in the world that I could feel at home in, I liked myself. And I liked myself in a way that I actually started to, um, my health started to improve a little bit. Right? I started to um, tolerate medication. I started to, to be able to be in my body in a way that I saw hope in front of me. Like I did not want to grow up and I, I just could not envision myself in the world as an older woman, like I, there was, I could not locate myself in the future. And the minute I saw, I saw that I could actually grow up and become like a cranky old man I, that I could live for, right? Like that's where I could go. And, and the minute I could locate myself in the future was when I actually started to show up like in a way that, um, was defying possibility. 
right? It didn't mean that it was going to happen, right? Like there's no guarantees that I would still be here at 55 years old, but because I could locate myself there, right? Because I could love who that person was and could be, I could begin to take steps to do that, right? And, and that I think has been when I, when I was thinking about coming here to talk to, to all of you and about what was real for me in the moment, that's the thing that, that, that sort of that dichotomy of healing and fixing, right? And what that means, right? And, and sort of my relationship to, to the yoga world as well has largely kind of struggled with that. You know, and <sighs> fixing is, is a way that tells us that, that our bodies, our lives, right, our minds are a problem to be solved, right? Like that's inherently what fixing tells us, right? That, that, that the effort it takes to, to fix takes us out of connection, out of connection with ourselves, out of connection with one another, right? Out of connection with the world around us, right? And it tells us that, that, that what is here right now is wrong, right? Is, was, should never have been, right? Um, and it, it carries this notion, which, and I, I've, I've been grateful to hear over and over again to this conference that um, the ways in which dominant culture lies to us in the West, right? Particularly, you know, white supremacy culture, culture lies about, um, that there's one right way that, 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 that's a supremacy of any kind is something that we should desire or value, right? That, um, that if we aren't a certain way, that it's a crisis to remedy that, right? Like that, that how things were before, or how they should have been is something that all of our energy should go to restoring, right? That that is sort of the, the messages that, that so many of us get about our bodies and our lives and our minds, right? And fixing inherently looks backwards, right? It looks backwards often to an illusion of something that never ever existed in the first place, right? That this sort of that we can um, expend energy to make ourselves into something, or to um, fix something in a way that makes other people comfortable, right? And I don't think that 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 is what any of us are here to do, right? that you know the spending that energy to meet this standard of perfection or um and i sometimes i even lose the words for what other folks want of us um that's somehow expending the energy to to get to that place right that get to that place that body that mind that 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 life whatever that is that this culture tells us should be um to live with that kind of shame, right? To live with a shame that that somehow I don't measure up. That was the thing that was killing me, right? There was a virus that certainly was not helping, right? And and I don't have a lot of control over that. But what I had control over was um, was the ways that I came home, the ways that I came home to to who I am, who I always have been, 
right? And and who I'm meant to be, right? Um, and that, you know, I tell people all the time that transition didn't fix something, right? It revealed something. It revealed something to me. It revealed something to the world. Um, it, it, it allowed the essence of who I am to come forward, right? And, and I think people often think about, about transition, particularly, you know, for trans folks as somehow fixing, fixing something that was inherently wrong. And I felt out of alignment, right? But I didn't feel, and I still never feel like there was something wrong, right? Um, but I did need to heal. And, and as a, as a trauma survivor, right? As a, as, you know, someone who the world has, you know, kicked my ass six ways to Sunday, right? As I've had a lot of healing that has need to happen. And the difference I think between fixing and healing is that healing is, is it's, it's rooted in what's already true, right? Like what Nikki said uh, in, in her keynote, that the, the essence of who we are is wholeness, right? That healing is actually holds that, that, that there isn't a destination or a place or a way of inhabiting our bodies or our minds that is inherently better than anything else, right? And I think healing, it's, it's not linear. That's the other thing that for me has been true is, is that um, there wasn't sort of like a way of going from point A to point B to point C, right? That healing has been this process of, um, of uncovering and discovering and revealing and um, sort of meeting. There's been parts of me that I, that I had never met before, right? Because um, that I hadn't been shown the way to welcome, right? And for me, that, that's, that's what healing actually is. It's rooted in this deep love, um, deep love for myself, right? Um, deep love for, for my community, right? This way of locating myself um, as inherently belonging, right? And I feel like that, that, the sort of relationship between healing and belonging, right, have been integral for me. That so much of my healing has actually been about um, getting back in touch with the sense of being needed and wanted and, and to whom I belong, right? That that I didn't need to change anything for that to be true. And, and that is true, for, I think, for all of us, right? That, that, that fixing, this notion of fixing tells us that, that, that in order to be welcome, in order to belong, that we need to go off and take care of something, right? That we need to right some wrong before we can, can come back. Right. And, and that is so much about other people's comfort and other people's standards than it is actually about the essence of who we are and the essence of our belonging, right? about our, our sort of birthright to belong, I think is often how I think about it. And one of the hardest things about um, my experience in the sort of 
yoga of dominant culture, not, I think, the ways that I understand yoga, the ways that yoga has been talked about here, but the sort of messages that that I've encountered out there has been um, has been wrapped around fixing, right? Wrapped around fixing, um, like, you know, this notion that, you know, if I could ever touch my toes, which quite frankly, I've just given up on, it's not going to happen, right? I've never met my toes in that way. Um, but I, you know, I'm incredibly stiff and and tight. And there's a lot of reasons why my body is like that. Um, but that somehow if I had, if I practiced hard enough, like if I did enough asana and I could touch my toes, that would mean something, I, you know, that this notion of, um, that striving, striving for a body that can do a thing that can, can look away, right? Those are the messages that I encountered in, um, mainstream yoga classes and, it didn't resonate for me. It just didn't, I couldn't, it, it was harmful, truthfully, but, but also I, I, I couldn't understand the why, like, why would I do this to myself? Like, what is this? And and I came to, then I came to experience um, yoga of devotion, right? This sort of yoga of, of, um, an open heart, right? This sort of way of, of practicing that could bring me into my body, right? In a way that um, was a coming home, that, that could bring me back into my heart space in a way of coming home. Like I was like, that I can do, right? That I can show up for um, and that I can practice, right? And that was sort of my, the beginning of where um, a yoga practice and a meditation practice started to make sense for me, right? I was like, Oh, like I get this, right? And I and and that has been sort of what my practice has been. Now, um, has has been that, um, and and what that looks like is is the the best way I can describe it is um, it's it's a way of falling in love again, time and time again. Right. Like that's what my practice is at this point in time. And it shows up in a number of different ways. Like often on the mat, when I, when I, when I come to the mat, it's actually um, an embodied way of remembering, right. What love feels like when I met, when I meet my own physical self with love, right. That's what often will show up on the mat for me. Um, and so when I come to my mat, that is my hope, right? Is to, is to be, to remind myself of that again. Right. And it doesn't, you know, like it's, it, there's a sort of way of working through my discomfort, working through sort of um, being here that an asana practice um, helps me with. Right. But ultimately when I get on my mat and I, I bow my head to the floor, like, right. I, when I privilege my heart over my head, um, that's when the divine shows up for me also, right? It's that, that way of, um, of being back in touch with the essence of who I am. And I think the essence of sort of who we all are. And in that, that asana practice is only part of it, right? It's, it's this practice of, um, Tonglen is a very big part of, of, my daily practice, right? It's, it's sort of, for, fo for folks who aren't familiar, Tonglen is, is um, 
it's a meditation practice and it is um, in essence sort of a way of turning towards suffering and actually inviting suffering in that that softens us right that that melts the armor of our heart um and and it's it's a paradox right it's a paradox of why would i do that right like why would i turn towards suffering like why would i invite that in and again it, it for me it's it's another way it's another way of um of embracing a loving presence and a loving connection right it's a it's a it's a it's a way of softening that that connects me to other people um and i can make sure that um that there's a connect there's a link to a few tonglen practices that 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 i rely on um so we can send that out but so i'm wondering if folks um if folks are willing and, and um to go on a little bit of a, a kind of a, a journey inward with me um rather than me continuing to talk to you about this i'd like to sort of um, walk you through sort of where i go and how i i do this so again if you can just sort of drop in to your bodies and to your breath in a ways that that are comfortable right don't strive just sort of what brings you in and if remembering and leaning back and knowing what has your back can be helpful that's great but whatever that is that brings you here right a soft breath Feel your heart space. Because we're talking about healing as opposed to fixing, when I was thinking about this, what came up is um, what belief am I currently holding? Right. That that's what what belief do I am I currently holding up that some aspect of myself needs to change for me to truly belong? Like what myth am I am I am I hanging on to? Right. And you know that can be a, a, a small thing, you know, it can feel huge. And so I think because we're practicing in a short time. Um, don't go to the deep end of the pool, but is there something that comes up for you that is about a belief that something needs to change? Like this sort of, if only, like if only this was different for me, what would change that I could belong? Breathe into that. I think we all have them. So once you have that, where does that live in you? Right? Like, where does that inhabit in your body? Can you feel it? Is there a physical place? Is there something that happens in your body when that comes up? For me, often my shoulders round. There's an element of shame to that, right? I can feel my shoulders round. I can feel myself get smaller. And just notice it. 
even calling it into awareness, what happens for you? What happens in your body, right? What happens in your mind? What comes up? Now, come back to your heart space, right? See if you can actually drop your breath into your heart space, right? What do you really know to be true? What lives there, right? What is your heart space telling? What does your heart say about that belief? Can, can that softness, that, that tenderness, can you feel that for yourself in this moment, right? And what if this is, you know, that truth that our hearts can have for us, right? That, 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 sort of that loving, right? That coming back to falling in love, that coming back to um, this inherent sense of, of belonging, this inherent sort of um, connectedness that we can have in that, in that softness. Right? If we touch it into that, if we let our breath touch that, does it change anything in where that belief might live or the or the hold that it can have and it might change a little it might not change much at this time maybe it changes a lot sometimes for me that depends on the day right what i wouldn't do is i wouldn't enter into a debate with the belief right it's just not worth the argument Just touch the tender edges that come up around it. Now, the next place that I go in moments like this when I'm wrestling with those beliefs is, is who can I pull in to my heart space with me to bear witness? Is there someone that comes to mind? And that person can be present in your life. That person can be an ancestor, near or far. But is there someone that, that your heart space can touch that can be there with you? And can that soften? that experience, that, that tenderness, that, that connection to another being who's there, right? Who, who already is representing belonging. Okay. And just for a moment, hold that. Just really let that be with you. 
And then when you're ready, come on back. But don't lose, don't lose that sort of that sort of um, tether to tenderness and to connection. One of the things that um, that centering a practice or that centering sort of um, practices, I suppose, that 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 center devotion for me, right? This notion of falling in love, this notion of sort of reminding myself that 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 I am connected to other people, right? That I am connected in, that I, that I am, that I'm deeply needed, right? Um, and that I deeply need others, right? That the, my practice reminds me of that all the time. And it does, and it, you know, and I think one of the hardest things about, about doing some of this work in mainstream yoga spaces is often people hear that kind of falling in love is fluff, right? This notion of like, you know, love and light, like, you know, and the ways in which I think that's that's sort of portrayed, and it, you know, and it's it's that has never resonated with me. I think the reason why I have to have a practice that um, that calls me back to falling in love is because I actually see the world as it is, right? I actually experience the world as it currently is, right? In all of the ways in which um, you know that I hear messages that that I shouldn't even exist, right? Um, that I'm quite frankly too expensive to keep alive, like all of those ways in which I experience the world and the ways in which I watch those I love, um, you know, be harmed immensely, right? It's because I see that, that I, that I, I need a practice, right? I need a practice of, um, of returning to what's true, right? Of returning to a reminder Right, that that whisper I can hear of from the divine, from from my connection with others, right? That that is bigger than that, right? It's 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 that those things are true, right? Those things are happening. The world is it is as it is right now, and right, and there's more than that, right? That we are all born to be more than that. That we can touch that at any point in time is a big part of what has allowed me to keep showing up, you know, and it's my practice at this point in, in my life is sort of a ritual of returning to devotion, a returning to um, remembrance of, of to whom I belong. That's the, at this point in my life, the whole practice. And one of the things I, um, as I said, as, as I was invited to do this, um, I was also diagnosed the, early in the spring with a really rare form of cancer, and it truthfully came out. It came out of nowhere, you know, and it was caught as a fluke. It wasn't that I I didn't feel anything, and it felt like a reckoning again. Most of it, actually, I was like, really, really, like this too, like you know. <laughs> there was a moment of that, and but I had to live through all of that. You know, COVID has been you know, hard for, I think, particularly in many ways for HIV long-term survivors, because there's so many echoes of the 
early AIDS epidemic. Um, and then there was this, I had this experience again and, and I had to like, I was a little bit afraid. I was afraid to start talking about what was happening um, because I was afraid that I was going to hear those things that I have heard before, right? That, that um, you know, the, the ways in which people, I wanted to be able to talk about what was real for me in the ways that I, I have often wanted to talk about living with AIDS, right? This, this notion that I, that I can be living and dying at the same time, right? That, that, that I can, I can, I can feel immense amount of joy and be suffering at the same time, right? That those, none of those things are mutually exclusive, but what I was terrified, I knew I did not have the ability to withstand was people telling me it was going to be okay. Right. Certainly telling me to go do a juice cleanse, telling me to do whatever the thing is I often hear in yoga spaces. Right. And what I wanted was I wanted a way to feel tender. I wanted a way to sit with, I didn't know if I was going to survive, right? There was no answers. There's, you know, there's never been answers for me in so many ways. And I wanted a way to be able to still show up fiercely, right? But fiercely unguarded, right? And, and I was, I'm lucky at this point in time, I have a community of folks who I practice with and I love who could do that when I asked. I was like, this is what I need of you right now. And they could do that, right? I'm like, I, I need, I need to creep out from my introversion very slowly and tell you how I'm doing on my own time, right? Yeah, almost don't ask because if you ask, then I feel pulled and I can't, like, I, you know, I will run like a turtle in a shell. But I need to be able to, to I need to be able to belong. Like, that's the thing I need most of all in this world. And that's the thing I need most of all is because I've, my legacy is, right? I want to leave this world having loved really bigly, right? I want people to know that they've been loved by me and that's it, right? Like, that's it. The rest of it, you know, is cause and effect, but this is a thing I wanted. Um, and this is a thing as I've been struggling, you know, and I, I had surgery and over the summer and, and things seem okay. They might not be, but they seem okay. Um, but my practice, right? My practice and the community um, that I live in um, allowed me to kind of be fully transparent and um, and still open. And I think there's nothing else I can ask of sort of um, the difference between fix, right? I had cancer. There was like sweet buck all I was going to be able to do about that. Like somebody else was going to have to like maybe deal with the medical stuff, but it was what it is. Right. But no matter what the outcome that was, that was going to be, it was, I could heal. Right. I could, I could, I could heal imperfectly. I could heal in the moment, but I could heal. Right. No matter whether or not there was an outcome that I was going to be thrilled about, I could still heal. Right. And that's sort of, the, then the big reminder as I was kind of leading up to coming here is that um, I think we're all as we are meant to be. And I think that we can serve as a reminder to one another that that's true. Right? And I'm grateful to be here. And I think um, I would love to, rather than continue to talk at you, I would love to talk with you. And if there's um, any like questions, comments, what do you, you know, what do you do um, as a practice 
for love and devotion um and and particularly how do you remind yourselves and one another that you belong and that you're loved and that we need you to survive as much as you need you to survive right so i'm really grateful and i think um I have trouble reading, so I, someone else is going to read the chat for me, but also there's a way to actually for us to interact directly. So either whatever speaks to you would be great, but I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you're all here um, and for the chance for me to remember this as well. Read, um, I can read the chat if it comes up. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. There was an earlier comment from Chef Taryn about quoting you, not, not a home address that worked for me. <laughs> I love that particular turn of phrase, Karen said. Um, let's see, so there's hands up, Karen. Uh, let's see. Karen, are you there? I think you're unmuted, Karen. Do you have a question or a comment, Karen? I, we can't hear you. Mm. Okay, maybe Karen, let's, maybe you can come back. Okay, I think she's up. Carrie, let's see, Carrie. Hi, um, yeah, I'm Carrie Shear. Um, in St. Louis. Um, I don't think I have a, like a question, but I think the thing that resonated with me is when you talked about fixing, let's back to something that never existed in the first place. And as a person who is trying to be a recovering fixer, like that really um, spoke to me um, because it, it seems like it seems like that was the block in trying to figure out for me what it means to heal um, from my trauma of being in spaces where I didn't feel like I belonged. So I am, yeah, I'm absolutely here for that. And I'm here for when you talked about how healing is rooted in what's already true. And I think that was mind blowing for me because like, I am. You know, and that's like, that's the fact I am. And trying to fix feels like I'm disregarding what I already am. So I'm excited to add those thoughts and ideas to my practice. So thank you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And Patty has her hand up. Hey, Patty. Hey, how is everybody today? Um, I went out dancing last night, so I came in a little late. <laughs> but it's been a great weekend. And thank you for from one long term survivor to another. Thank you for for speaking on HIV and AIDS. And, you know, and I loved what I was hearing in the healing rather than fixing is fixing you. Some, it's usually something you hate about yourself. 
And healing is something that I love about myself that I need to get back to. And, you know, I've been 30 years positive. So there's been a lot of crap that's gone on in my life. And um, I love when you said bring something. And I I had a daughter when I was positive. Um, I had a son who I gave up for, for adoption right before I became positive. Just became a grandmother with him. So that's kind of cool. But my daughter was born when I was positive back in 95 and nobody, 96, really. Nobody thought that, you know, it was crazy having a baby, you know. Oh, my God, you're going to. And I had so many people telling me I was a bad mother for bringing a life into the world at this time. You're going to die. She's going to die. You know, all this so that was like, and so when you said bring something into your heart that you hold on to, that girl, my my little girl, I named her Angelica. She's 26 now, not positive, engaged. And she's the one who is always saying to me, whenever I'd say, oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, why did I, you know, all those negative voices in my head or people said something to me and I get upset about it because of my, you know, you AIDS bitch and, you know, stuff like that. That that child is the one who kept saying, mommy, no, you are amazing, you know, and I have to keep keep her voice in my head. I had another person in my yoga teacher training, which I just did over pandemic, which kept me sane. I mean, if it wasn't for the spiritual program of my yoga teacher training, I think I would have gone and say I, I suffer from, you know, depression and trauma. I was a sex worker. So there's all that stuff that comes in. But um, one guy in my class kept saying, telling me how amazing I was. And I kept going, I got to replace those negative voices in my head with your voice. Can I record it and just put it in my room and, you know, listen to you? Because a lot of times we don't, like I don't, I, you know, the imposter syndrome, the, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm not, you know, why am I here? What am I, what am I doing? You know, and just to have you say, you know, bring in that suffering and then find something that you love. And instead of fixing, just start healing. And I think I've been doing that most of my life (laughs) lately, (laughs) Um, and I just love, thank you for, for sharing and thank you for bringing this um, to, to uh, the conference. I loved it. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> That's it. Thank you. Thanks, Patty. Um, I wanted to read you some, a message. So Karen, who tried to come on the line before, wrote in the chat instead. And she said, um, thank you so much for opening your heart to share with us here today, Teo. As a black woman in a large body, I've felt the societal pressure to fix who I am and how I show up for most of my life. Thank you for echoing the sentiments of my heart. Um, Jane said, you're a magnificent human. The practice of bringing somebody beloved, a loving kindness human who loves you just as you are was profound. Thank you so much. And then um, also there was a Another question, someone was asking for a reference for Tonglen practice, like maybe a recommendation. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um, I, I can actually, I can actually, if we have the ability to send things out, I can actually link to that. But um, Joan Halifax has, has a beautiful script that is, I think, relatively easily accessible. Um, and there are 
recordings of her actually leading it, but there's also a script. Um, I have, um, I actually have a, a Tonglin practice that I have recorded for another training that, that I have access to that I can also send along and I can send along the, um, the PDF of my own cues and you can re record your own voice off of those cues, right? Like it's, it's an easy thing to do. So I'm happy to send those along. We could add that to the archived recording mm -hmm. of this session. For mm -hmm. Okay. But I love what you just said about reading it in your own voice, because I, I think that's a beautiful, a beautiful, powerful practice to hear your own voice when you're practicing. I love that. Um, Carol said, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing in such a heartfelt way. I love the idea of showing up fiercely unguarded. I appreciate your authenticity. Um, I don't know if anyone else has comments or, or wants to come on. I, I want to thank you. I mean, that was powerful. I, I love you. Like I said, you, you share so much about your journey and I think it's, it can feel so vulnerable, but that's what, it's such a gift to us. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Let's see. Anything else you want to share with us or? Mostly I'm grateful. I think that um, I appreciate hearing other folks um, in the ways that this sort of resonates because it's, um, you know, Tiffany, you're right. It is, it's, it's, it's tender and vulnerable, um, but it's vulnerable in a way that I, for me, it's vulnerable in it from a place of service, but it's also vulnerable from a place of um, groundedness, right? It, it's because of my practice, because of, of, being in community, um, it isn't a, a fragile vulnerability, right? It's it's something that I feel like my heart can handle. Um, you know, I think there's a big difference between heartbreak, which I think this this being alive requires of us, right? Healing requires of us. Doing any of this work in the world requires of us to have our hearts broken over and over again. But practice is what makes the difference between heartbreak and my heart shattering, right? Like heartbreak is actually sustainable from a place of, of love and devotion and care, particularly communal care, right? But it becomes very fragile when it's um, willful, isolated, um, and, and ungrounded, right? And, and when there's no one surrounding us, or we feel that there's no one surrounding us, or we have to go it alone, that's when I know my heart will shatter, right? And, and that's a big difference. Mm -hmm. And so doing this work in this way with all of you is, is sort of how heartbreak is sustainable. Okay, and I see Audrey has her hand up. Let's see. Hi, um, so I'm Audrey. Um, I I have quite a lot to say, but I'll be short, <laughs> otherwise we'll be there for hours. Um, thank you so much, because that was really, really, really powerful and wonderful. And I think it's a message that needs to be um, Spread wider about the fixing, not fixing, but healing. Um, I live with a serious chronic illness and it's just does my head in. <laughs> All the stuff about yoga will fix you. It, it won't. It, it will heal, it will help, but it won't cure me. Um, um, so, yeah, thank you so much for that. And um, I wanted to share as well. Um, I had some kind of vision as you did as well of me as an old woman 
um, when I was diagnosed, like maybe two or three years after my diagnosis, and I really didn't think I would live to an old age. And that just reminded me of that. So, yeah, I think I that's something that I could work with, um, as you said, like in terms of devotion and love and things like that. And I would have a question for you, um, which is quite vague. <laughs> Sorry. But how did you build your own community, your own support system, when, whether that was when you first got your diagnosis for HIV or when you decided to transition or, you know, earlier mm. in the year um, or maybe when COVID hit? Whether, like, mm. how did you build your community and your support system? Thank you mm. so much. Thank you. Yeah. Um... I I think that I've, A, I think I've been persistent in showing up and continuing to show up in places. Time is how I've built community. Um, and I think it's communities actually more than probably one. Um, and, um, and I think allowing myself to be seen, right? Allowing myself to, um, to be as I actually am, as opposed to, you know, some poster child or some like you know marketing ad or whatever the heck that was <laughs> like you know that actually allowing myself to be fully seen um has been a big part of that but also you know what like i think my practice has reminded me of what my own worth is and so it has also helped me leave places that have not um been places that i i think that would i would want to call home right and and so it's been about that but it's also just um finding i think folks that that um that when i'm in their presence i feel more myself than not and those are the folks that i tend to be drawn to more than anything else in this world right and and that's a big part of it and you know i don't belong anywhere that's perfect but i belong a lot of with a lot of people that i love dearly and that I would go down in flames with them, you know, like I love them enough to do this work in a way that I will fail with them, right? Like those are the, the things I pay attention to. Um, and if, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's sort of the, the things that, that I look inward for to know um, if I'm actually in a place where I want to build belonging or not. No thanks. There is a comment from Jamie. Um, thank you so much for trusting us with your truth. And Sirsha, think, uh, what you just said about heartbreak and shatter really resonates. That was what you talked about previously. I just want to make sure you heard that. I appreciate that. Yes. Um, and, I, and I love that conversation about healing versus fixing. It's such an issue with the world of accessible yoga. Um, I feel like, you know, our work has been misconstrued in that way for years. And I, I, I try to bring it up also with... Um, the yoga therapy community because i think they're really stuck in that yeah so right hi do we have yeah. time for one more question sure <laughs> um i didn't realize i had the question until just now um so as you were talking about community and knowing when you should leave and when you should stay that totally resonated with me however um what i'm currently facing 
And I'm wondering if you've had an experience with it is when you know it's time to leave a place that you don't want to let go of. Right? <laughs> yeah, so much you love about it, but it's not, you know, mm-hmm. it's, I feel torn. Thank mm. you. Yeah. Um, not to, to dive deeply, but, you know, my family of origin is exactly that place that I've had to, to um, let go of. And it's a paradox, right? I think sometimes we have to let go of things long before we want to, right, for healing to happen. Um, and again, it doesn't mean I can't pick something back up, but, but letting go is um, letting go and then paying attention to what happens in my body and my heart when I do um, over time has been helpful. But yeah, you know, and again, it's practice, right? Sometimes we pick things up, put them down, pick them things up, put them down. But, but, um, but there's wisdom we know, like we know when we need to at least take a break, if not walk away. And, you know, I don't think it's easy, but rather than fight with that, I think turning yeah. towards what we do love and who loves us is the <laughs> way to, to do that. Right. It's, you I just don't love I, is right. Yeah. yeah. Like right. Neural pathways. I don't, I don't stay in, in I don't stay in conflict with that stuff. It's right? they are who they are. They, it is what it is. And right. And yeah. what path do I want to cut? Right. Who do I want to turn towards is the only way that I think I've found that mm, beautiful. to work. So. Thank you so much. Thank you, Teo. I think we're out of time. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for all of, all of being here and witnessing. Yeah, thank you. Um, there's more comments. Let's see, Marina said, I'm coming into an understanding that fiercely unguarded is a place I can only go with people who hold me as I am and I'm bec- as I'm becoming and the family of origin stuff really resonated. Anyway, just wanted to hear that. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing with us today. I really appreciate it. So great to connect with you and everyone. Um, Hope to see you soon. Thanks for joining us for the Accessible Yoga Podcast. We're so grateful to be in community with you. Please check out our website, accessibleyoga.org to find out more about our upcoming programs including our annual Accessible Yoga Conference. At our website, you can also learn more about how to become an ambassador and support the work that we're doing in the world. Please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review wherever you listen. We'd love to hear your thoughts. You can also submit a question or suggest a topic or potential guests you would like us to interview at accessibleyoga.org. See you next time.